scripture memory verse tonight, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. I've got this memorized in the King Jameth, and I cannot get study to show thyself to shoo thyself approved uh, it, it, out of my brain. And I almost said it. And so anyway, anybody else? So he had to throw that out there and mess everybody up, right? <laughs> Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, so that nobody is confused. <clears throat> Second Timothy two fifteen. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Uh, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy two fifteen. Good job. Anybody else? Good job. Second Timothy. Second Timothy 2.15. Close enough. She was striving really hard. Huh? Yes. It's fine. She tried to remember. Did you know it before tonight? So that's why I was giving her credit. Yeah, I know. We did this one before. Yeah. No? The words were coming in and out in my head. We could try for a Nazarene. I earned a few points. Anybody else want to try? Second Timothy two fifteen. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy. Good job, John. Anybody else? Second Timothy two fifteen. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy two fifteen. Good job. Difficulty in my brain of where to start at. That's what happens when you do topicals or we're doing just the memory verses. So a little bit of information. Um, 2 Timothy, obviously, is the second book written to Timothy, which was uh, a son in the faith to Paul. And it's written around A.D. 66-67. It is a prison, pass, uh, a prison epistle, um, and it's also called a pastoral epistle. I really don't necessarily like the pastoral epistle title. First and Second Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles. 
I think that they should be called discipleship uh, epistles. That should be really what you have is you have older Paul and you have real young Timothy, and you have discipleship going on, and discipleship should be going on. The best thing for an old dog is a young dog. Best thing for a young dog is an old dog, and because one teaches the other, one gives the other one energy. And so that's discipleship, really. When you would do discipleship, biblically, they would take an ox that had been threshing the grain for years and knows how to do it. They'd take a young ox that's never threshed the grain with the, with the wheel, and they secure them both in the, in the yoke, but they don't put any weight on the young ox. And then every day as they walk around, they start to tighten it a little bit more and a little bit more, and the young ox eventually is bearing some of the weight. See, when we're yoked together with Christ, we never bear any of the weight. It's always the Ancient of Days bearing all the weight. And all we have to do is follow. All we have to do is follow the pattern. Be trained in the desires. Live the life and tell others about it. And we become the trophies of grace even though it's all His power, His might, His word. It's everything about Him. All we're doing is following and, and, and crushing the grain. And as the grain gets crushed, it's got to die to bring life. It loses the flesh. It loses the shell. Anyway, uh, I, that wasn't the text. That was just part of. Uh, and that's why I, I really don't. I mean, this this is something that should be done. And I don't know that the content is just for pastors is what I'm saying. So when they call them pastoral epistles, I don't necessarily agree with uh, church history or what they do there. So I would like to, to apply this and, and, and the way they're applying it is just to people that Paul sent to be pastors because he's writing them uh, letters to instruct them more. So that's why they make it pastoral epistles. But I believe that the word of God is applicable for everybody. And so I can't just make them that. So I probably muddied that enough. Let's move on. <laughs> He wrote this. This is his swan song, too, as many would say. This is the last letter that Paul wrote in his life. He had been released from prison and was rearrested after Rome burned. And he wrote this letter. And he says, even now in 4.6, he says he's being poured out as a drink offering. He knows that he's going to die. Um, is it 4.6? Am I right? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all, look at this, this to all who have loved his appearing. Very important things. I mean, these words are not here by, oh, I just throw some extra words in there. I want to make this letter a little bit longer. I want to make sure they think that I'm really caring about them. Everything that is written in here is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to be watching, waiting, and working, and longing, and looking for His appearing, His glorious appearing, so that He doesn't come like a thief in the night, and we're looking somewhere else. We're watching something else. We're running some other race. We're living some other way. We're doing some other thing. In fact, next week's scripture is going to be uh, um, 2-4 right here in the same chapter. I'm not going to go to a lot of this same chapter and cover a lot of this content. But what I will tell you is that when this was written in A.D. 66-67, 
Paul is really talking to them about the apostasy, about the falling away. That is, and see, we get saved and we got saved in apostasy, full-blown apostasy. Why can't people see it? Because it's already gone. I mean, the foundations have already been removed. The faith has already been upset and capsized, and there is always a remnant, but we're being handed something that's a man-made system the same way that was going on in Jesus' day, and he had to come and right the ship. And Jesus says, when I come, will I even find faith? And that is really written in a, in a structure where it, the answer is rhetorical. He's saying it in a way like he knows he's not going to. Because there's no faithful system left when he comes. Because if there's any left, he takes them in the rapture. So he's going to remove them. There's a departure from the faith, and then there's a departure of the faithful. Departure of the church that will go home. And when he comes, he's not going to find any faith because he's going to come to judge. The only faithful is going to be with him on white horses, Jude says. So it's really interesting that he's still talking about this. He is telling him as a pastor in Ephesus to do certain things so that I get the content of say, hey, this is a pastoral epistle. I get that. Don't get me like, oh, wow, he didn't even get it. He's writing a pastor. No, no, I get that. But the word of God is applicable not just for the pastor, but for everybody because we're all called to be witnesses with our gifting. And that's the important thing here is that when we look at this scripture and it talks about us being diligent or King James, study to show thyself, shoe thyself. I don't, I've never understood that word shoe instead of show. But anyway, uh, shoo, shoo, get out of here. <laughs> That's not the same as show to me. So it drives me nuts because I'm just a crazy old boy from Kentucky. But uh, diligent is study. Uh, it, it, diligent to study. It means to use speed. It means really this because here's, here's, it's so funny. It means to make an effort. Listen to me. We have to be told to make an effort toward this. Because people think that all you have to do is say a prayer and then there's no other effort needed. And we think we're okay. And listen, uh, I would not change the gospel. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you're married to Christ. That's a marriage ceremony. But there's going to be evidence. If you if, if, if take any... Any physical marriage and watch what happens once there's a proposal and watch everybody start to prepare for that day. Well, that day is fast approaching us and people are not preparing for it. They're preparing for their death. They're preparing for other things. They're scared to die, but they don't realize that everything that they're making preparation for is a funeral, not a wedding. And we can be that delusional that we're preparing for a funeral to be cast into hell instead of preparing for a wedding. When you're preparing for a wedding, there's a lot of other things going on. There's joys, there's baggage, you're losing weight, you're doing all kinds of things in the spiritual realm to make sure you're being diligent, you're studying to show yourself approved, you're, you're rightly dividing the word of truth, you're making sure because why you know there's an enemy trying to deceive you there's somebody trying to keep you from making it to that day. But we're like, oh, I'm already good. I'm done. Well, where's the evidence? The fruit? I mean, Jesus said they're whitewashed uh, uh, tombs, sepulchers. Show evidence of, I mean, uh, uh, what did he say? Uh, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So that's evidence. 
That's not rotten fruit. That's not old fruit. That's a growing testimony. That's a growing relationship. That's a growing, going and growing. Or like I like to say, be always on the grow. Because if you're attached to the vine, you have to be growing. Because that's what he does is give life. Not death. So diligent or study, when we look at this, be diligent. I'm not going to cover any of the rest of it. I apologize. Typically, I'll give you some context of the chapter, but I just did apostasy. And watching, working, and waiting. Being about the Lord's business. That's what he's going to tell us here. Be diligent. Make an effort. Well, it also says to be prompt. Uh, to labor. To study is another way. Or to be earnest. Uh, here's a good way to put it. To be forward. So we don't use that that way anymore. That's a little forward. You know, when you would, when you would move in the direction of a, of a lady, you would be a little bit forward. And, and, and so you're moving in a direction and you're a little bit forward with that. Well, it tells us to be forward. That we need to be studying, to be diligent, to be finding out how we should be living. What we should be speaking about. <clears throat> how to be a witness. But, but really when you say it says be diligent and study what? Be diligent in what? Study what? He gets to it, the word of truth, rightly dividing it. But think about this for a minute. It's the word of truth is what we're studying so that we can find out for the will of God to do the work of God. Listen, and we're going to cover that. We want to understand it's the word of God or relationship with truth. Because they didn't have the word of God. Think about it. The word that we have now. And see this is another way. I'm going to put away my notes for a minute. This is another way that we live our Christian life today. Is that we act like everything today is the same. We look at it like myopically. Like it's the same as it's always been. And when he was penning this. That letter had to be protected with somebody's life. There was one copy. It was an actual letter like you would send to somebody, <clears throat> but you would send it by courier. I mean, it's handwritten and, and probably by somebody else, and he signed his signature. I didn't look at the closing, so I'm just talking off the cuff. But when he says, study to show thyself approve a workman unto God, <coughs> you think, oh, I need to be like... Uh, I was when I was in college and I need to get into the books and I need to start studying. I need to be diligent about this because that's what the word really means is study. But we need to find out what we're supposed to be doing in life. What's my gifts? What's my talents? What's my abilities? What should I be doing? Timothy is a pastor. He is pastoring. He thinks he's too young. He thinks he's inexperienced. We know that he's got some stomach problems. And he, and he just he, he, he says, even tells him at one point, let nobody despise your youth, Timothy. Stand up and walk out your gifting because it's not you anyway. It's the Spirit of God. So my point is, is that what were they supposed to study? See, they didn't have the Bible eight places in their house like we do today. They didn't, they didn't just go, okay, I'm going to look at it on my phone, on the, on the Blue Letter Bible, and I've got this in seven different languages, and I can study this. 
I mean, you had to actually be rich in order to afford a scroll of any one book because there were so few of them. And you had to go, you would go to synagogue if you were a Jew, okay? Which in Ephesus, it was not Jewish. You would have to go to synagogue for somebody to unroll a scroll and actually read the Old Testament, not the New Testament, which was not really, really all over the place at the time. So he's telling them to be diligent to present themselves approved to God. Well, how how will you know? I got my Bible underneath my arm. Look at here, I'm diligent to prove. Look, God, God's with me. What you got her going on? So here, this gets back to what I'm trying to say is, is that you want to hear the voice of God. You want to know the Old Testament of God, but you don't have it. You know, you have to go find it. You have to go get a job and, and, and earn some money and say, I want to buy that scroll. I'm giving all my life to get it. No, to hear the voice of God. The voice of God. We just happen to have in our, in our day and time, this days of apostasies, the recorded word of God, which is under great attack. Why? Because when you hear the voice, and you go, was that me? Was I just thinking that? Did I have too much pizza? Now, does what you're hearing line up with the character, the nature, the will, this spirit of God? Is it the spirit of God? That's why we're told to test the spirits. But what did they do? I mean, I mean seriously, what did they do? They had to listen to an instructor. In that time, they were listening to somebody that was directly talked to Jesus. Paul directly talked to Jesus on the road to Damascus. All the disciples hung out with Jesus for three years. And now you got word of mouth and you got letters. And they had all kinds of letters that were being written that were false, that were lies, that didn't line up to the rest of the character and the nature of the foundation, the Old Testament, what they already knew. And so it was like, like what, do, what do you mean? Study what? Be diligent about what? So we have to listen. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's the discipleship thing. He's doing all the work. But now we just happen to be blessed where we can say, wait a minute. What was Greg talking about? I mean, he just went round and round and round and round. And was he really talking about the word of God? Let's go. Oh, yeah, well, it says it does say that. So now, now I have to decide. Am I going to obey God by the power of the Holy Spirit? Not my works, His Spirit. He's called me to do it. If He's called you to do something, He'll supply all the means. He'll supply the Spirit. He'll give you the ability to do it, no matter what other people are doing. But does it line up with God and His Spirit and His Word? And so I believe that they had to spend much more time making sure they were together. Making sure they were hearing from and that's why they argued and had all that sectarianism over in the book of Corinthians. Well, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Peter. And Paul says, I'm glad I never baptized any of you. Except, well, for one and two. And, and people will take that and flip that up and act like you don't have to be baptized. It's just not what he was called to do. Some people are called to dunk people. Some people are called to teach people. He was sent to the Gentiles and to suffer for God's name. He was clearly announced on the road to Damascus what he was called for, what he was going to go through, everything he was going to do. And, he, and God didn't tell him about it because it had been like God telling Moses, 
hey, it's just two and a half million people in the wilderness. All you got to do is feed them three meals a day, make sure their feet don't burn off. It'll be fine, Moses. Get. I'm staying with Pharaoh. <laughs> I mean, really, think about it. God doesn't show us everything. He asks us to follow him by faith and trust him because he's God. And so I believe they were they had to be in the word prayer and fellowship. They had the word of mouth witness. And notice how in our society today, the word of mouth teaching and witness and, and the spirit of the word of God is missing. Oh, you got a lot of pastors that will read their notes and read from a book and, and teach a, a lesson. And let's go through this workbook that covers old boy's book that he wrote. And we got all these things going on. But what about the fact that if they was to take all of our Bibles from us, how would we be diligent to show ourselves approved workmen under, or approved to God, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? Well, I think. See, do we are we are we listening for the Spirit to speak to us? Are are we looking to do God's will? But as we keep going out and doing our own will and our own thing, and I'm getting to a point, we're doing our own thing, we're quenching the Spirit, so we're not hearing what God's saying to the church. We're quenching the Spirit because we leave the time of, of togetherness to go out to get back into our bondage of what we're doing in bondage, so that therefore we forget about doing the work of God. And as I always say, you've got to look over the physical and look at the spiritual. We're no longer regarding anything as flesh and blood anymore. And even when you go to work, you can rest. You can be at peace. You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to freak out and worry how I'm going to pay my bills. What you do is you go to work thinking, how can I get somebody else to hear the word of truth? How can I rightly divide it and, and, and cast it upon the water and, and so that they can grow from it and come to salvation? And so you should be looking for, and it doesn't take a pastor to do that. It takes a witness. And we're all called to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what he's saying because they didn't have, let me go hand out some Bibles and some tracts. All they had was the word of God. That's where the ictus comes from. Everything that they did had to be the spoken word to tell somebody about Jesus that has come and he forgives you of everything. And when Nero started killing Christians, they would walk up and they would go and draw one half of a fish. And if he was a Christian, they could draw the other half of the fish. And now we can talk and we don't have to worry about dying right now. So all of this was going on. They weren't handing out Bibles. If they were handing out Bibles, they'd just say, kill the one hand out the Bibles on the corner down there today. So we, we tend to think of things like, let's look at this word in, 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 in common day. How can I be diligent? Well, I've been at home for 24 hours straight reading my Bible, and that's all I've done. I've been diligent and studying. Think about it. That's not that you got to go out and be a witness. And some people are called to be an evangelist. Some people are called to be a teacher. Some people are called to be a pastor. Some people are called to be administration. And, and we do, but we're all called to be witnesses in this courtroom. And, and we need to be diligent. Diligent about that. And we need to be forward about that. We need to make an effort and use God's speed, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And so we have to be prepared to give an answer 
to every man for the hope that lies within us. And that should be the work. I mean, we're going to get to that in a minute. Because if you're, if you're called to be a worker or a workman, that obviously means you have to be working. You have to be toiling at something. But what are we toiling at? We're toiling at God's work, not our own work. See, I, sometimes I get so mad, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm stuck in this room, stripping and waxing this room, and I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't want to be stripping and waxing this room. I would much rather be on the corner, even if they're yelling at me, and saying, get out of here, you Jesus freak. At least sharing the gospel with somebody. But I digress. So, use speed, make an effort, be prompt. First usage is over in Galatians, about forward. It's a little hard to deal with um, when we ran out of time. It's, we're not going to go there. It's in Galatians uh, 2.10. Um, if you wanted to know where the first usage of that was, all the way to the book of Galatians. Isn't that funny? Before it's ever used, um, the word study or diligent. Well, let's look at it. I can't help it. I can't help it. Back up just a couple books here. Notice the teaser in alphabetical order. They're all together in alphabetical order. Sometimes that helps you remember where you're going. It's First uh, and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, what did I say? Galatians two ten. Uh, it was just a. A testimony that he was given about Barnabas showing him the right hand of fellowship to the boys in Jerusalem, and. It says in 2.10, they desired, and the word desired is in italics, only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was forward to do. Uh, I was diligent to do. This is what he was looking to do. And that's where the word was first. He was wanting to take care of the poor. He was wanting to go to, to people with the gospel. And that's just the first use. It's not that, uh, I think it's forward, though, in the King James it says eager in my new King James. You guys got eager? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the word is, is actually forward. You know, in other words, he was diligent to do that. That's what, I, that's what I had in the forefront of my mind in the first place was to go uh, uh, to the poor. So uh, study to do what? Be diligent to do what? Present or shoe King James. Now listen, it means to stand beside. It means to recommend. It means to, to stand up. But here's the best thing, to exhibit. See, we're trophies of grace. We're exhibits of the grace of God. We're exhibits of godliness. We're supposed to be the light now of the world because the light's shining through us. And so we're supposed to be on an exhibit. That's what makes people mad. That's why they killed the, the apostles. They were exhibits. They were Christ-like when they used it in derogatory. You Christians, you're like Christ. You guys act just like that Christ guy we killed. So that's an exhibit. It's supposed to be fruit. It's supposed to be growing. And, and, and it's not to be mean, but sometimes you see people that have been in the church for 30 years, and they still don't know where Genesis is at. 
and, and I'm not being, I mean, being a little bit facetious, I'm not being mean, but, but it, it, it's, it's like we don't challenge people to stand up and stand out and, and not to shut up, but to be a witness and to grow up in the faith. Be diligent about this. Study the Word of God. Get in fellowship. Talk about it. Rehearse what you're hearing. Because you know what we like to do? We'll do that about a football game. We'll do that about soap operas. We'll do that about presidential elections. We'll do that about work. We'll do that about what we like and what our heart is, is actually governing. I was talking to Michael. We were talking about, you know, because I, I, I get ever since I've been born again because I was in secular music. I was playing in a band and 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 and, and drugged out and and demoned out and and playing drums in a band. So ever since I've been born again, I've been adamantly against secular music because it's something that preaches to your soul. It's something that's and I've come to realize that the secular musicians are prophets of the of the devil. They're prophets singing about what they're worshiping. And they want you to sing along with them. Just like we would on Sunday morning when the praise team leads you. Part of worshiping God is singing about him. Singing to him. Opening your heart to him to receive him and hear from him. And when you're listening to secular music, it's the same thing. It's the, it's the prophets of Baal. It's it, it, uh, Baal. Uh, Belzebub. It's them leading you to sing about what you're worshiping. You're worshiping those things. And when you can sing about them and receive them singing about them, then those things are okay with your heart. And so it's really difficult uh, to talk about, but it's truth. And we're being deceived in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We're supposed to be shining as lights. We're supposed to be exhibits. We're supposed to be standing out a light on a hill. And listen, this is not to shame anybody or to guilt anybody this is to wake us up to sound the alarm to ring the bell and say lord where am i missing this at where am i what is keeping me in bondage lord i and come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need to be an exhibit of grace to be an exhibit of fruits worthy of repentance to be an exhibit that would say uh your honor i like to call my first witness and he's got exhibit A with him, his life, you know, in this courtroom. You go, this used to be me, and now look here. And so we've got it upside down. I'm not being mean either, but we've got it upside down. People come into the church, and then they tap their whole bodies up. And, and I'm not even pointing at me, but I try to keep my tattoos covered up. That was my old life. That's not the new life. The inside tells what's going on on the outside. Not the outside tells what's going on, on the inside, but it, it works both ways. But when we become an exhibit for Christ, because of what he's doing on the inside, the outside should want to be in joy and love and peace and should want to never lead anybody to another place that would harm them, but to lead them out. Something that would help them and cause them to understand they need the Word of God. And I talk to people all the time about the Word of God, and they look at me like, I'm a Christian. I'm not being mean. I really am not. And many of them even say, yeah, that's true. And never do nothing. Never be diligent to stand up, to be an exhibit, to stand out. Never study. Never ever. And we think we're okay because we've been lied to and given this false bill of goods that all you need to do is say, I will. How many marriages end in divorce? God hates divorce. 
But why are they ended in divorce? They keep living their own two lives. The two don't become one. They don't have a funeral and become one vessel. And we really need to think about this because it's just as true in the spiritual realm as it is in the physical. And what we see in our culture, the decay of our culture, it really reveals the hearts of the people. It reveals the hearts of what they want. They don't just make movies about vampires and gore and blood and death and because, because they think, well, you know what? Let's trick them into wanting this. They already want it. It's already popular. It already wants to sell because of evil hearts. They make the part 27 because part 26 made them millions of dollars. And people still wanted it. Which is weird. Especially when the church is traveling right along beside them doing the same thing. Or the so-called church. See, because there's really a visible church. It's what you see going to church every week. And then there's an invisible church. Where the invisible God, the spirit, is working inside of lives. And people are alive and on fire for the word of God. The invisible church is real. The visible church is false. And it leads everybody away. It's run by the Antichrist. It's ran in many different ways, many different isms, many different, but it leads you someplace else other than to the throne room. It leads you to keep staying in your own esteem instead of dying so you can produce fruit. Oh boy, we only got two words in and we're done. <laughs> so we're supposed to be an exhibit, exhibit A. supposed to recommend that's what the word means to be at hand to be ready to stand up the first usage is actually uh, in Matthew 26 53 and it's really where Jesus just says if I needed help I'd just uh, pray the father and he'd send legions of angels that's how diligent the father would be in the King James it says he shall uh, presently give he shall presently give and that's what that word means it's an exhibit it would be an exhibit of power that would be given if he really needed to go that direction but that was not God's will for his life God's power is not weak God's power is not anemic God, so when we are actually uh, being diligent to present ourselves and trusting in the Lord and moving in the direction he wants us to go, his power is not weakened in him. It will be on display. It will be there for you. And if you pray, he'll give it to you if you're moving in his will. And that's what Jesus' point was, but that was not what they were there for. They were there to be betrayed. They were there to be arrested. They were there to be crucified. For this hour I have come. He was there to die for the sins of the world. So he did not ask something that was out of the Father's will. Hey, Dad, this is looking pretty bad here. Why don't you send me some angels? He already decided that in Gethsemane. He decided that when he prayed and the boys were sleeping. He decided that already that he had given up his life, that it was finished, he said. Arise, let's go. It was finished. You have to make that decision before. You don't wait to the trial. Again, the trial. Again, the courtroom. You don't show up in the courtroom and plan your defense while everybody else is talking. You don't show up in the courtroom and go, maybe we should try this. So you should already have that planned. 
long before you got to the courtroom with the judge and the jury and everything. You do not want to try to fake it when you get to the throne room, to the white throne judgment. You want to already be covered, and you already want to have fruits of righteousness, and you already want to have a relationship with the Spirit of God and hearing the voice of God. You're already going to know, and then you'll never show up to the white throne. You'll come to the Bema seat. And then the things that you did that you thought you were doing for God, you were forward in and you were being diligent and you thought this is what he said. You did them out of a right heart. It just wasn't what he said. You really were trying to, to do the work of the ministry. They'll burn up. But that's how you hear his voice. You learn to hear his voice by doing. Because if we just hear and we don't do, we deceive ourselves. Every time we hear the word of God, every time you sit down with God, every time you're praying, he's speaking. But is our heart so hard we can't hear? Is there, I mean, that's the other place that this was used. Oh, no, I didn't go to it. Diligent was used over in Hebrews 4 about rest. He says, if you've entered God's rest, you've ceased from your own work, the work of your hands. And he says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest and not end up like the children of Israel who all fell because of disobedience, which is unbelief. We don't believe that God's going to show up. See, Jesus knew that he wasn't supposed to pray for a legion of angels, but he also knew that if he was supposed to and he prayed for the angels, they would have come. And they would have been present at that moment. So be diligent to present yourself Huh? Personal. Not, this scripture is not telling me to be diligent to present Michael. It's not telling me to be diligent to present. Hey, get it right over there. It's telling me to be myself. Remember when he was restoring Peter? And he says, What about him? He's talking about John. He's like, You follow me. Don't worry about him. If I decide that he lives till I come back, what's that to you? You follow me. So our personal walk, as, as betrothed as the bride, it's about us. And what has God called us to do? What is he doing with us? What is the Spirit working on us about? Because everything that's going on in your life is part of that. It's the scalpel of God. It's not the devil trying to keep you from doing the will of God. You're good enough at doing that yourself. I'm good enough at not doing the will of God and grieving the Spirit myself. Is the devil in the world? Yes. The Spirit is in the world. The whole world lies underneath the sway, marching to the beat of the wicked one. But my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So if we're God's sheep and we're hearing his voice and we're being diligent to present ourselves and we're following, all the power of the universe is there with us. So it's us that's getting in the way. Not the devil. Because if, if we were doing God's will and they kill us in the street, that's still God's will. He allowed that. But you could also stone you to death and you get up and go back in like Paul did and go, hey, I just have one more thing I wanted to say. I wish you wouldn't throw them rocks. Just hold your rocks for a minute. I got something else to say. And, you know, they left him for dead. But God wasn't done with him yet. I'm sorry. It was funny, but I'm like, oh, I always go, where do they have rock machines? You know, like two shekels for a rock if you got somebody you want to throw a rock at? 
Vindy machines, you know what I mean? I know. Don't you don't have to correct me. Don't send emails. Cobblestone roads. They pulled them up out of the road. They had piles of rocks everywhere. What's them for? Hey, oh, well, we're building a building down there, but if you act out of line, we will use some on you. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You're walking around in a society that could pick up rocks? That'd be a hard way to go, wouldn't it? Hit me in the head with that. You guys have hit me with about 35 of them in the ribs, and those are hurting. Just kill me. It's like somebody that's a bad shot today. <laughs> You shot me 14 times, shoot me in the head or something, this is hurting. I'm sorry, I'm being very facetious. And, but uh, it's, a, it's a hard subject that we have going on here because the spirit is, is capable. Listen, the spirit is capable. The word of God is powerful. Everything is laid out, it's done for us. All we have to do is surrender to it, take his yoke and follow him. And he will do the work in our lives that he's called us to do. Now, is it going to go perfectly like I'm saying it? No. Our flesh is in the way. And no, we've got to learn lessons along the way. There's got to be some iron sharpening iron. There's got to be chipping away. There's got to be, oh, that hurt. I don't want to come back here again. So that you learn the lesson in the backside seminary. You don't learn it on the mountaintops. You learn it in the valleys, in the hard places of life. But you do need to learn. You do need to be the exhibit that go through things differently than other people go through them because you know he loves you. But it's uh, yourself, uh, thy own self. It's personal. It's personal. In fact, we talked about it before the study. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. When Paul writes to the church at Rome, he's never met anybody there, and he writes to them, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, considering the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, hagios, which is, is the word for a saint, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the only reasonable, we get to where it's logia. It's where we get the logic from. It's the only logical thing to do if you know the gospel is to surrender your body and let him live through you and take his yoke and walk with him. It's the only logical thing to do. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't, don't look like them. Don't become like them. Don't follow what they're worshiping. But be transformed. That's a new creation. It's metamorpho. Transform. It's metamorphosis. Caterpillar to a butterfly becomes a new creation. Only God can do that. And he gives us a new life. And he writes his word upon our heart. And he puts his spirit in, our, in, our, in, our, in the middle of us. And he marries our spirit. And then he begins to take our hand and lead us down the aisle to betrothal because he's making us like him. And he leads us down the aisle and takes our hand in the Father's house. And then we're there and married. And it's a finished deal, really, positionally. But practically, we're still walking through it. And he's with us every step of the way. Unless we say no and we grieve him and quench him, he's still there. And he hasn't left us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I can't honor that. I can't give you power for that. I can't bless that. I can't do that. I'm with you. I'm saying don't do that. That's going to hurt you. I love you. I love you. You're my bride. I'm trying to prepare you. But I can't honor that. That's going to reap some bad stuff. And so he's with you the whole time. He's not left you. But it's not going to end well with that. It can bring forth death of the relationship. 
So it's personal. It's, it's a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices get up and walk away. The word, this word is used in Matthew 4, 6. Again, the first time. Why do we keep going here? Because this is the temptations of Jesus. And we get, we get, uh, notice that Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And the devil has no power in his life. As long as he's the truth. As long as he understands truth. As long as he listens to the spirit of God. And he, and he, and he reminded of the truth of God. And not following the lie that the devil presents to him. What is 4, 6 anyway? Matthew 4, 6. We know it's the temptations in the wilderness. Um, oh, where is that? Oh, yeah, it's in, uh, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. So he's telling him, that's where yourself, that's what we're talking about. It was personal. Uh, now, question your identity. Who are you? Uh, are you a son of God? Are you a child of God? Do you have the spirit of God dwelling in you? And he says, throw yourself down. Go ahead and, 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 and show everybody. Because the word says you can do it. You can do anything you want. All things are lawful. They're just not profitable. You can do anything you want. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. From the power of sin. You can do whatever you want. Throw yourself down. Because he's going to give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. But what does Jesus say? It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So is that what we do when we go ahead and do things and we throw ourselves down, we commit sin, we act out when we know that we're not supposed to be doing it and the devil tempts us or our flesh tempts us? Are we really tempting the Lord? Testing the Lord? Trying the Lord to see if he'll leave us or forsake us? Are we really trying him? It's the pride of life. You know, if he would have... If he would have threw himself down off the pinnacle with all of those people there and then the angels catch him just before he hits the ground, you know how popular he'd have been? What a... Surely. Did you see that? That's what we see a lot in the churches today. Did you see that? I've been looking for lion signs and wonders. I've been just waiting to see somebody that's got the power of God. The power of God is in, is quiet. The power of God is in the spirit. The power of God is in transformation of a life. The biggest witness is a person who's bearing fruit of repentance. Worthy of repentance. Not the best fruit. You're just turning toward repentance. You're changing your mind. You can fail in changing your mind. But are you changing your mind? Are you coming back to the Father? Fruits worthy, or uh, 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 bear fruits worthy of repentance. Really, nothing we can do to bear fruit but abide in vine. We're going to learn about that Sunday. No, we're not. Next Sunday. God willing. Sunday, we're taking a hiatus. So, you're being diligent. You're studying to show thyself um, approved. What? Approved? Aren't we? Haven't we been approved in Christ? It's a really, it's, it's a docomus. Docomus. Docomus is the word. It's a really amazing word. Uh, it means accept acceptable. It means acceptable. Um, it means. Uh, let me let me let me just read this to you. Do I have it? Uh, 
Where are we at? Docomus, D-O-K-I-M-O-S. I'll do it for you here. Just give me a minute. Uh, let's just do it together. I just like the word. Huh? I just like the word. Docomus. Oh, I ain't got hardly any battery. Are you serious? Here it is. Is it not working? Donkey Moss. Like Donkey Mo. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Donkey Moss. Okay. And, and it's translated approved. But listen to this. It means accepted. Uh, it means acceptable. Current after a sale. After it's been assayed or examined uh, or tried by fire. Tried by uh, here's what it is. Let me read this to you. In the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today and no paper money. All money was made from metal heated until or heated until liquid fire. The, the refiner's fire heated, heated until liquid poured into molds and allowed to cool. When the corns were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The corns were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practice of whittling down the coins that were in circulation. You know what I mean? You'd be shaving them, and then you just keep cutting more and more and more away so you can make more coins. You would have more of the gold or the silver. But some money changers, listen, some money changers were men of integrity who would accept no counterfeit money, something that's been shaved too much. They were men of honor who put only genuine, full-weight money into circulation. Such men were called docimus. And this word is used here for the Christian as he is told to be seen by the world. You're supposed to be seen as docimus. Now, you're not letting the world shave off your edges. You're not, you're not trying to present yourself as something here. You're not. You're presenting yourself approved by God, yet real. I got stuff going on. I'm not perfect. I apologize. I'm sorry. All of these things. is documents. There's integrity. And so when they would weigh it, instead of just taking the coin that's been shaved too much, they would weigh it. It's supposed to weigh on the weights and measures. It's supposed to weigh a certain thing. If it didn't weigh out, if it didn't, so you're testing the spirits of this at the same time. If it didn't weigh out, they wouldn't receive it because they called it counterfeit because somebody had shaved too much off of it. So what's being, what's being shaved off of you by the world? What's too much being shaved off? Like we, we get into church, we go to Bible study, we do these things, and then you go back to the world and you let them shave off the spirit. I'm not talking, I'm not being a witness, I'm not telling nobody about the word of God. But then you come back to church, see, and, and, and you're a full-blown Christian. But see, when we go to the world, we're supposed to exhibit the integrity and the life of Christ, even if we mess up. We're supposed to be exhibiting this. I don't know why I took off my glasses. I can't see nothing without. But approved to who? Not to man, to God. See, our faithfulness is to God. And if we're pleasing to God, 
then if it's pleasing to men, okay. If it's not, sorry about your bad luck. Not in a rude way, not in a sailor way, but I'm going to be pleasing to God. I'm going to please God first, and that's just the way it's got to be. And so God is weighing us. God is measuring us. He's got perfect scales. He's got perfect justice. And he wants us to be diligent to present ourselves approved, docimus, acceptable to God. And he's cutting away the flesh. Cutting away the flesh. Cutting away the flesh so we will be the perfect example of Christ. But we go back to the world and let the world cut off the spirit. Cut off the spirit. Don't say that. Don't think you're a Jesus freak. Don't do that. And we and we have no integrity with the gospel. And all we're really called to be is witnesses. Um, If you read over in 14 of Romans, Paul talks about this. But he's talking about, let's just go over there. Romans 14, I'm going to finish this up. It's going to take a minute, guys and gals. Um, sorry. I've worked all week too and I'm wore out, but I think we need to get through this in the sense of what the Spirit gave it to me. So I apologize if it goes a little late. Uh, we got started a little bit late too. Let's just start in 1414. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if a brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Now listen. They might be examining you and just saying that is something that really offends me. And they're talking about meat here and meat sold in the, to the idols or, or sacrificed to idols. And there's no false gods. So if you took some meat and you sacrificed it to an idol, then you took it to the, to the butcher shop and you sold it. Uh, some people, it violates their conscience. They're like, that was sacrificed to a false god. Well, there's no false gods. There's only one god. There's no other real gods. It's all a lie. There's no other gods. So it really wasn't sacrificed to anything. It was a use. It was a futility to try to sacrifice it to something that doesn't exist. There's lies that exist, but there's really no false gods. There's no such thing. They're not gods. They're demons and they're liars and they're trying to deceive you. Anyway, Paul's point in all of this and the entirety of the entire Bible was is that he would stop eating meat if it offended his brother, even though he knew the truth and he knew that there was nothing being harmed. That he would die. He would become that living sacrifice and never eat meat again just so that their conscience wasn't harmed. 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Notice what that is. That's all fruit. That's all nothing that can be done in the flesh. You ain't got no righteousness. We just don't have any. Of our own. We can't keep the law. And then peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And it says in the Holy Spirit. So it's all done. This is, this is look, the kingdom of God is in not in eating and drinking, but it's in righteousness, which we get from Christ. It's in peace, which is a fruit of the Spirit. 
which is Christ. He is our peace and joy. And it's in the Holy Spirit. And 18 is where I wanted to get you. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's the word docimus. So we need to know about our righteousness. Listen, there, there's no good people. All Everybody's been confined. None good, no, not one. We're all unrighteous. But God has given us righteousness. But in giving us the righteousness, it's not to go on living unrighteously. It's to grow and to go and to become like him, but stay humble, stay low. Somebody said that, that, that God creates out of nothing. So stay nothing. He spoke out of nothing and created. And so when we're nothing, he can create in us a clean heart. So when we remember that, no, I, I am not good. I have no righteousness, but I'm an exhibit of his righteousness. And so my actions need to line up with that. I need to have integrity and documents. I need to be able to be assailed, examined, and, and, and not be ashamed. Are you guys getting this? Because so, somebody will say, well, yeah, you, but you, you're not good. Neither is anybody else. Well, not saying I'm good. I'm just trying to be an exhibit of the love of Christ. I know where my righteousness comes from. I know that in me dwells not one good thing. I know that I can't do anything without God. But if he's really preparing us as a bride, shouldn't our actions, our desires, our ways, the way we do things be totally different instead of look just like the world? There should be a light on a hill, not a worldly that just says, ah, we ain't, got, we ain't righteous anyway. We're none good anyway. He's already given us an inheritance anyway. Might as well eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow we die. That is plain nonsense. Yet most of the church will say it and say, don't judge me, man. Not judging you. I'm just being a doer of the word. I want to be a witness of the word. I want to be an exhibit of the word. I want to be diligent about the word. And I think that we should be examples of the word where people can see what Christ looks like. And we know that it's not us. We give him the glory. We give him the glory. If anything good is in us, it comes from him because there's nothing good in us. And we can't take credit for it. That's why we'll take our crowns off and throw them back down at his feet and sing holy, holy, holy. But... We should serve Christ in these things because it's acceptable. It's documents. It's approved by God and man. We shouldn't keep walking around and go, well, I'm just no good anyway, so it's okay if I do bad. Paul talks about that in other places even. I'm just proving that God's grace is good because I did bad. I need forgiveness. God forbid. Okay, back to our text. Be diligent. What are you guys being diligent in? Man, I can be diligent in some stupid stuff. I can stand for some stupid stuff and be forward in some stupid stuff. Get caught up in some ignorant wranglings about... See, he talks about all that in this thing, too. About all the hearings and the profane babblings and, and the politics and all the things that are just fleshly and make you want to come to fisticuffs instead of really concerned about somebody's soul. And that's what happens is we get caught up in a whole bunch of physical stuff and we forget... That Jesus left us here to be a witness so people could have their souls saved and his blood would be covering them also. <laughs> okay, James 1.12 also uses this same word. James 1.12. I would quote it, but I want you to see it. After you have been assayed, after you've been examined. Is that in the New Testament? Mm -hmm. Listen. 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation. The great deep is what that means. It's the deepest trials, the deepest testing, the deepest temptations. For when he has been docimos, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. There's evidence, there's action, there's movement forward. If you love me, keep my commandments. Lord, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do. I want to keep your commandments. Keep drawing near. Keep bearing fruits worthy of repentance. And he'll do the work in us. Keep walking with him. Continue to study, to shew yourself approved. Not to man, to God. See, people become man-pleasers. Listen, you know, if you're a man-pleaser... If all you're worried about is pleasing the person in the room that's in charge, listen to me. Listen, this is really good, really important. You're going to become like sand. It's like you're standing on sand. You're not going to have anything to stand on because all you're going to do is do the next thing to impress the person in the room. It's like building on sand. But when you have integrity, when you have documents, when you have, you've been weighed and you know the truth and you walk in the truth and you're standing on what you know to be true, doesn't matter whether it pleases the people in the rooms. Is it God's word? That's what's going to count in the finality of it. I see so many people that are men pleasers and they get to the end of their life and they have nothing to stand on. They don't know what they believe. They don't know what to say. They have to have a book to read from in order to tell you what they believe. It's not written on their heart. It's not part of their relationship in their life. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what we worship, we can talk about. So, approved to God. That's what we're looking for, God's approval. In Christ, we have it perfectly. In Christ, we have it perfectly, positionally. But practically, we want to be that exhibit. We want to be diligent about presenting that we truly are the light of the world. We truly have met God. We're truly betrothed. We've truly been sealed and received the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we're going to be prepared to be that bride at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so there's going to be growth. There's going to be forward movement. Yes, I used to be like this. But I, I, I'll tell you about that. We can talk about that. But I don't want to act like that today. And if I am, Lord, forgive me, wash me, and cleanse me and purify me and make me more hagios like I am, the saint that I am, it positionally. That I would walk that out practically. And it's a lifelong thing. So we are becoming workers. Workmen, King James, it actually means, listen, it actually means a craftsman. This is our craft. Being Christ-like. Learning the Word of God. Learning to be like Christ. Learning to follow. I know. We, we use that. See, we say that the witchcraft has stolen that word. But that word used to be about what you do. You're a, a blacksmith. You're a whatever you are. You're a teacher. That's your, you need to know your, what you're doing. We even have crafts now that hold stuff, right? So what's in your craft? 
and you have to craft it and fill it up with coffee. Aircraft, yeah. But and there's all kinds of words we use that word for. But see, God puts His Spirit in us. We are His vessel. We are His craft. I should be careful, but it's a craftsman. <clears throat> in fact, in Proverbs 8, talking about wisdom, in Proverbs 8:30, he says, "I was ever before Him as one brought up, or as a as a wise master craftsman." That was Jesus. And so if we want to be like him, we need to be workers. Well, what kind of work are we doing? Ephesians 2, 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Listen, 2, 8, and 9. I know everybody loves that verse. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? But he goes on, and we always leave 10 out. We are his poema. We're his works in progress. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, there's no works except the good work of salvation of souls. That's what we're here for. That's what we're exhibits for. That's what we're witnesses for. The, to tell about the gospel scheme of things that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And you need to receive that and believe that and become involved in that work. As you go out, that's now the craftsman that you're supposed to be. Well, how do I do that, Greg? Well, it means a teacher, a laborer, a toiler. It means you find out as you're building your relationship with God, you're betrothed to him. The Spirit of God is, is, is re, uh, washing you and cleansing you. What's my gifts? What's my talents? What's my abilities? How do I do that to win souls? How can I do that and win souls? Because the only ministry we have is the ministry of reconciliation of souls. So you are a workman. Just the word, a craftsman, speaks that there is work to do. But it's God's work, not our work. We've ceased from our work. Go read Hebrews 4. You have to cease from your work. You have to rest in the finished work of Christ. Nothing we can do to be saved. But if we are saved, we let God finish the work in us, make us an exhibit, use us as a witness, use us as teachers, use us as administrators, use us as, as, as uh, uh, evangelists, use us as uh, 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 healers, whatever the gifts of the Spirit are. He wants to use us for those as his workmen, but it's all for his harvest, and that's where this word is used at. First, Matthew 9.37. For, uh, the, uh, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The workers are few. Those that would enter in and see that the fields are white for harvest, that people need salvation. They're looking for something to worship. They're looking for hope. But the workers that will literally be diligent to present themselves approved to God Anyway, they're, they're very few. Very, very, very few. Because we've been given an apostate church. We've been literally given a gospel that's more about winning and influencing friends. It's more about getting ahead. It's more about business connections. It's more about everything than winning souls than ever before. Because we've walked away from the word of truth, which is what he's saying. A worker, as you're working, does not need to be ashamed. Irreprehensible. Is that how you say that word? Irreprehensible. 
the Webster's 1828, and that's the only dictionary I look at. Listen, irreprehensible, not to be blamed. Free from fault. There's your three F's for you. Free from fault. We are free from fault because we know our position. We know our place. We're working unto God. Our work is not what we're doing to make bricks or to make tents like Paul did. Our work is the salvation of souls, and it can only be done by the Spirit of God with the work of God, with the truth of God, when it meets the conscience of those that are coming to God. And I think we're called to go out and be witnesses to the children of God that don't even know that they're going to be saved. They don't even know that God knew by foreknowledge that they were going to need to hear the word, and then they would come awake. They would hear the Spirit of God. We don't know who they are. Most of the time, it's the worst guy in the office. It's the worst guy on the job. It's the guy that says, shut up, man. I don't want to hear that. He's the one that really, you know, you throw a rock into the, in a big pack of dogs. You know how you know which one got hit? The one that yelps the loudest. Usually, the guy that's most offended by the gospel is the one that God's working on. It's not the people that are going, hmm, there's no difference. Sorry. So we don't have to be at fault. We don't have to be blamed. We don't have to be ashamed. This is the only place this word is used, by the way. And the next word, too. I couldn't, I didn't even write it down. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It means to make a straight cut. To make a straight cut. This is the only usage for it. It means to dissect, to expound on correctly uh, the divine message. To make straight or smooth paths for people. In other words, to be John the Baptist. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. He will direct your path he will help you to rightly divide the word of truth if you're being diligent to do what he's called you to do. Diligent to show yourself approved to God. Diligent to present yourself a living sacrifice. Diligent to say, what next, Holy Spirit? Diligent to, to say, how, do I, how can I be used? What's my gifting? Here I am on my face. I'm not moving till I hear from you. The word of truth. And of course the word is logos. Logos. It's something said including the thought. It's a topic, a subject. It's really re referring to the whole gospel scheme of things. But more importantly as a witness. Christ crucified. Christ resurrected. That's the gospel. Paul would say according to my gospel that Christ died and Christ rose again. And he is the Messiah. He paid for all of our sin and we uh, can come to God with no other name. Uh, the word of truth. Truth, of course, what is true in any matter being, being um, considered, and here is truth of life. Here is the gospel truth that nobody gets out of this world without knowing Jesus alive. You can get out dead, resurrection of the dead.
truth. The word of truth. There's no other word of truth. So let's look. Matthew 22, 16 is the first usage of that. Isn't that funny that all the way through? Isn't that crazy? 22 chapters into Matthew before the word truth is used and truth is standing in their face. Truth is talking. And the word truth, I, that's why 22 chapters into Genesis before the word worship is used. 22 chapters into Matthew, New Testament, before the word truth is used. 22.16, and we'll close. And they sent him, or they sent to him their disciples. <laughs> oh, people got disciples? The world's got disciples? Rock stars got disciples. Hollywood stars got disciples. George Soros got disciples. Everybody got disciples. That's just your learner, your pupil. It's just what you're worshiping. It's what you're pursuing. It's what you're chasing. The Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true. Even they admit to knowing it. Or it's flattery. And teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. And this is where they're trying to trick him. So they could be just flattering him with truth. Do you think you can flatter God with truth? Does God not know whether you're being diligent to show yourself approved? Does God not know what we're doing? See, these Herodians, he knew what they were doing. They were testing him. He knew that. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. So when we do it for men, we can go with men. Yeah, we can trick men. Yeah, they think that I'm the... Yeah, they think... Yeah, what they think... Listen, you can't trick God. He knows when you're cutting off the edges. He knows when it's counterfeit. He knows when it's fake fruit. And see, he gives men eyes and discernment, too, to know. I always like the one where Billy Graham always said he would go into his grandma's dining room and he couldn't figure out why there's no flies on the fruit when he was younger. And of course, flies is Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, Lord of the dunghill. It's a picture for Satan. And then as he got older, he realized it was plastic. It looked perfectly like fruit. It looked like fruit worthy of repentance, but there was no flies on it because it wasn't real. It was fake had no integrity. It didn't weigh and measure out according to being approved to God. It wasn't the word of truth. It wasn't rightly divided. Bible, and we're still in that same chapter, because next week is 2-4. One of my favorite, I, you guys haven't heard me say it in a long time, but I used to say this like every day for five years when I first come down here and start a church. Okay. 
no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And this should line up for us and keep us moving right along uh, because we're looking to be approved to God, not to men. So we're not going to get entangled up in the affairs of this life because we want to please God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For you first must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, who study to show themselves approved to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we were lost in a grave, dying and going to hell. And you came and called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, help us not to be ashamed and not to be afraid to go proclaim your truth. Rightly divided to others. And be led by your spirit so that we can know when to have compassion and when to save some with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Save us from apostasy, Lord. Wake us up. Help us to walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. For the days are evil. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.